BTS, Chris Brown, Justin Bieber, One Direction, Jeanette Claudette, Music Soul Child, Sean Kingston. These are all names that artist, songwriter, producer, August Rigo has written for or collaborated with. He has a publishing deal with Sony Music Publishing, is an artist, and he is the founder of his own label, Summer Child Records. It's Not Fair is his new song out. I encourage all of y'all to check it out. Welcome, August. How you doing, man? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. When was that moment for you when music struck its first lightning bolt straight into your heart? Oh, man. That's, I think... Man, I was I was five years old. My my mom had a uh, like a, I came from a family that was very big on karaoke. Mm. So it may have been my earlier memories that maybe I can't remember may have been watching my family do karaoke. Right. But my earliest memory of being like, wow, this is you know this is something that's affecting me differently was uh, my mom had a videotape of Michael Jackson, um, Motown 85, first oh, performance of Billie Jean. Yeah. <clears throat> Little did I know when I, when I look back, when I look back at that, the, that concert, you know, Stevie Wonder was there, uh, mm. Smokey Robinson was there. Mm. And, you know, those, you know, I watched all, I watched that whole tape, but the Michael Jackson performance, that's the one that was like, Oh man, I right. must have watched it a hundred, two hundred times as a kid. You know, trying to do the moonwalk, you know, yeah. doing doing that thing, and I you know that that stuck with me forever. So that's you know that's the first thing that kind of that was the thunderbolt that kind of was like. Mm. From there, I can't remember wanting to do anything other than music. So wow. I always say I was you know, people spend their whole lives looking for, you know, the passion or their, what they want to do. And, you know, I've, I've found it very, very early, you know, like five years old. I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I, five years old. I yeah, this is what I love. I didn't know, you know, at that time I didn't know where it would take me, but I just knew I love this. I love the performing. I love the music. I loved whatever was happening on that screen. I loved it. And then, you know, that's when he de uh, debuted the moonwalk, isn't it? That's when he debuted it. Yeah, that was the. Yeah, I mean, I was just like, "What is this?" So it was the not only the music, but that visual aspect. It sounds like it really captured you. Yeah, I mean, there was an energy about it. You know, I, I mean, at five years old, I knew I was watching something special. I had no, I, I had no concept mm -hmm. of what it was. I didn't know who this guy was. You know. I just saw this thing and I was like, oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? It's like, when did you start uh, picking up an instrument and what was your first instrument? Uh, my first instrument was the piano. I started, I guess, around maybe a couple of years later, six, seven. I was my, six, seven, maybe, yeah, around there. I was pretty young. My dad, I, I remember my dad taking me to piano lessons every Saturday. And I was good. Like I was really, really good. Um, and then it, it's a, such a weird thing. I know, like I used to practice. My parents were on me. Hey, did you practice piano today? I practiced mm. half an hour a day. I was mm. like, 
yeah, being six or seven years old and trying that's to good. sit that's discipline. for half an hour, it's a lot. Like I, I can remember them being on me, but I'd always practice. Even if I forgot, they'd be on me. I'd practice. Cool. Um, we'd get graded in this piano school, this piano wow. class. We get graded every, every class you'd get a grade. Okay. Get, never got anything lower than a, I was always an a. So for, I guess a year, student. it was an a, 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 <laughs> and I always practiced. So I knew I'm going to get an a, I just expected it. And then one day I made a mistake and they gave me, like I made, I was playing and I made a mistake and they gave me a B teacher gave me a B and I was so upset that I quit. What? I quit a year in. Wow. What, uh, what were you feeling? Uh, just I, I felt I felt like I did what I was supposed to do. You know, like I practiced. I was playing well. I made one mistake, and I was like, "This that does that's not that's not fair." I can play this. I can go again and play this perfectly. And they just they gave me a B that week, and I was I knew I in my brain I can remember this. It's so long ago, and I can remember the feeling. Yo, I did the work. I practiced. Right. I can play this. I made that mistake, but I can do this. Oh, and then it was like, nope, you got to be today. It's okay. Don't worry. Get mm. in. Like, no, that's not right. I was like, that's not right. So I, I literally quit. I told my dad. My dad was like, are you sure? Are you sure? All the way, all the whole week, I was like, I'm quitting. I'm quitting. He was like, okay, well, we'll go on Saturday and we'll see how you feel. And on Saturday, I, I can see it in my head. We were going up the stairs, this little no piano school. And he was like, are you sure you want to quit? I was like, yeah. And I was still upset. Wow. And, um, my parents have always been like that with me. They've always been very, you know, they'll, they'll give me what I want. Like, you know, they'll, if I wanted to play piano, if I want to play baseball or hot or, you know, basketball or whatever, um, they'd be like, cool. If they could afford it, they would let me do it. Um, I, I stopped when I said hockey because I wanted to play hot as a Canadian boy. Like I wanted yeah. to play hockey so bad which didn't have the money, like literally financially hockey was off the table. It's a lot it was, of gear. It's just an expensive sport to play. And, and when you're young, you gotta like every year is new, you know, there's new, new gear, new, new bones that gotta be repaired. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. But yeah, they've always been like that with me, but they've also been very lenient in the, if I decided that I didn't want to do it, they, they weren't, uh, they weren't forceful, you know, which is, you know, which is a big plus and a big minus. I don't know. I don't know on the parenting scale, if that's the right or the wrong, for me, it worked really well for me. It yeah. worked really well because I was, you know, I was able to find the things I really liked for myself and kind of stick with it. And eventually I ended up going back to piano. I went back to piano. Yeah, tell me about that. Uh, I went back to piano, but I was always, uh, I was cheating. It was weird. So? I didn't know I was cheating, but <clears throat> until, so I, I did grade one, grade two, grade three. I was killing. I was like, I was moving really fast. Um, I didn't know that I was cheating because I would always ask the teacher to play me the pieces. I so I'd say, play me the piece. I, she played it for me once. And after understanding what was happening, I'd play it. I didn't realize I was playing it all by ear. Oh, so I wasn't reading the ears. Yeah. I, I wasn't reading the notes anymore. Um, I was just kind of using the paper as a reminder. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a flatter, there's a sharp there, but hmm. as a whole, I would just have her play it. And then I'd know, I know what it sounded like. So I'd have a kind of relative, great relative idea of how to play it. 
and nobody figured it out until I got to my grade three exam when the sight reading was started to kind of get a little more difficult and I failed mm. it miserably. And they were like, what happened? And I was like, I don't it. know. I was like, I don't know. And <laughs> you knew, come on. Well, I knew, I knew right there. I was, they were like, well, you can read this fine. And I was like, yeah, I can read it fine because you played it for me and I can hear it. Wow. And they were like, Oh, so you're not really reading the notes. I was like, well, that's a C that's an E that's a G. Yeah. But they were like, okay, play this. And I was like, can you play it for me? Gotcha. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So it was a weird thing. So I ended up, I ended up stopping piano there and, um, just kind of learning by ear. I wish I, I wish I stayed in piano for the knowledge. And cause like now when I'm playing piano, I find that I'm, I'm kind of handcuffed sometimes when it comes I to see. chord structures and where I want to go. It takes me a little longer to kind of figure out things. Um, because I had like, just such a finite amount of knowledge. Right, um, right. That's the other thing about school. It's like, um, you get handcuffed to these rules as well. And then when you get into the real world, you kind of start to understand that those rules are, are especially in music, they're more guidelines mm, than, than rules. Yeah, they're more guidelines than rules. And once you come from like an, a kind of organized ideology of what music is, and then you're put in the real world of like producing, songwriting, singing, it's it's great to have it, but you have to, you have to kind of know when to break out of that box or break the rules in order to, you know, to really start creating. Do you use uh, music math in your writing? And, and if so, how, how does that work? I do to a certain extent. It's fun, so funny you mentioned that because today I was in a, like this morning, I was kind of, I, was, I almost dug into the rabbit hole of that. I, I, I dabble with it. I read a couple of articles here and there. But recently, I've been really, really into it. So, you know, Can you there's explain so, what, what music math is to those who, who may not know? It, well, for pop song Cohen, writing. Okay, so Max Martin, the great one of, if not the greatest pop songwriter of yeah. our time, um, he's coined that phrase. It's kind of, it's music by numbers. Like, you know, paint by numbers. You just kind of paint where the numbers are. It's like music by numbers and it's different for every song, but the calculation is kind of the same, like where you're, you're using your know, melodic motifs to kind of, motifs. yeah, motifs to kind of come in and out to, to create familiarity within, within the melody. Mm. Um, and the math comes in because, you know, like these are, these are all, you can all, you can always like um, attribute notes to numbers. Right, right, yeah, it, it, um, intervals and scales. Intervals are just the intervals are just the distance between notes, right? So here's here's one one thing I kind of look at when I'm writing. If I'm if my melody is kind of sitting in the da 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 in the that's my verse. I want the beginning of my pre-chorus or the next section of my song to start on a different note, mm -hmm. you know, to create, uh, to create a little bit of a contrast between the, right, right. between the two sections. Um, 
the music math is also about finding a place where you can be repetitive, you know, some, mm-hmm. something repetitive, um, it, within the, within the chords that kind of sit in the right. Mm. In, you know, it's so complicated. And then when you hear it, it's so simple. So it's right. so it's, um, and I think that's one of the greatest things about writing a amazing pop song is taking something that's really complex and presenting it in the most simplest form. Yeah. Right. Like you can hear like these Backstreet Boys songs or the Britney Spears songs or the Instincts, all those, all the, pretty much every song that Max has written. They're so easy to listen to. They're so easy to kind of understand. They're easy to play. They're easy to sing, but the complexity behind what is happening with, you know, within the chords and what's happening with the tensions and the melody and how if he's playing this chord can you hear that yeah and you know he's he's starting on the third because it's the most pleasing part you know it's the most pleasing interval to listen to you know right or or he you're playing the C and then the melody is hitting at the is at seven to create that kind of dissonance. It's it's an interesting thing that it's definitely a science and but it's not finite. You know, there's there's a million possibilities in in every certain in every case. And I think it's a it's a it's a it's a taste, you know. Right. It's a, it's, taste and it's a and it's a choir taste i have this little um anecdote so hmm. don't mind i was it's working one, yeah. one of the first sessions i ever wrote uh ever had like a big major session <clears throat> with these amazing producers named stargate oh yeah uh, um they're neo, no, right yep neo sexy love uh mm. irreplaceable beyonce amazing amazing producers and everything they touched at that time was, you know, yeah. it's gold, platinum, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And I was, I was asking them why, especially on the urban side of things, urban, like their urban pop records, like, you know, Sexy Love, Neo, So Sick, yep. we're just spot on, you know, we're spot on. And, you know, obviously a big factor is Neo, this is an amazing yeah. songwriter, but sonically they always kind of, lock that in and Mm -hmm. i was asking them i was like why you know you guys make great music all around but when it comes to this r&b you always they you guys always have that sonic like it's always there like that that hit quality what is it you guys are doing like can or is it something you guys don't know and you just do it and they were like no we know exactly why Mm. we're doing and i was like is it something you can tell me they're like yeah so they are, you know, they were just fans of R&B music, first okay. off, first of all. So they always, that's what they listen to. But in Norway, before Spotify, before streaming in general, or iTunes streaming in general, you're at the mercy of what the labels are pushing, right? Okay. You're at the mercy of what's on the top charts, Billboard specifically. And in the States, we had you know, or North America, rather, there was a, an abundance of R&B music, you know, you can go at, you could have gone anywhere from D'Angelo music, soul child, that Neo soul, Erica Badu, that era, um, even, 
you know, you can go to Joe to see boys to men, um, shy H town. There's, and you can even go deeper and deeper into that R and B hole where, you know, there's more obscure, you know, obscure references, but in Norway, you're only, if you want R and B, you're really only hearing the R and B that's hitting the top 10, maybe the top five, because that's all the best of the best. So what they were saying was to us, that's, that was our only point of reference for R and B. Okay. Hit rec hit R and B records, not cool, not underground cult classics, you know, and there's not, you know, carte blanche hit records. Hits. Hit popular records, the the sonic quality that that dictated up a hit record, and that was and they were like that's our that was our point of reference. So anytime we are making something, we're always reaching for that. Mm. And it's like a higher standard, maybe. It's if the- all you hear is hit records, all you're going to make is hit records. You know? Wow. It's it's a weird thing, like. Now we, it's diff, it's a little bit different now because there's so much to choose from in music. You know, there's so many genres and sub genres and now like genre blending and genre bending, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, radio is still very, you know, there's a format and there's something, yeah. but well, there's, there's a lot more outliers than there was before in, in that, in that sense. But a lot, you know, the majority of people are consuming music you know, on their phones or on their computers, right? right? Through a Bluetooth speaker or whatever. So it's a little harder to pinpoint. You still know a hit when it's a hit, mm. uh, but there's a lot more options now. You know, there's a lot more options, a lot more ways to, you know, you're hearing a lot more different structurally uh, songs that are structurally being made. Yeah. Um, now you have this new resurgence in like pop, all rock emo meets hip hop R and B, right? It's like yeah. five different genres in, in one and it's cool. It's great. And I think it's a great evolution for music, but back then, you know, you're getting, you know, you're getting those, that's what they were listening to. The best of the best. Yeah. And that was their point of reference. So it, it, and it makes sense, right? If all you hear is greatness, yeah. you're gonna be great. it reminds me of an idea I had where I was like, I should only listen to the best for a while uh, of multiple genres. Like what are the top 50 blues records? What are the top 50 reggae records? What are the top greatest songwriters of all time? Just to put into my mind only the best for a while, kind of just surround myself with the best art, the best music. What are the top books that I need to read? Right. What do you think? No, of that for idea? Sure. I, I, lo- I love that idea. I always have this thing where, you know, it's always, it's subject. There's, there's a subjective side to any creative, you know, or to any art form There's always a subjective, like, you know, some people don't like the Mona Lisa, you know, some people aren't a big fan of Monet or some people aren't a big fan of Picasso or whatever. But when I think back on my, and that's, that's a, that's a newer thought that I've had because, you know, I, I, you know, as you dig deeper into your creative, you're like, I want more, I want more, I want more. But when I first started, you know, lots of people, I I grew up around a lot of heavy musicians. I went to school for uh, choir and opera music originally um, in high school. Yeah. So I did, you know, um, sacred music, chorale and opera. Like I was singing in German, Latin, 
Italian, like all types of stuff. Is this uh, uh, after high school? No, this was actually in high school. I went to a performing arts high school. Oh man. And that's, that was like, it was, it was a major part of our curriculum. So I could, you know, I could drop like a computer course or something because I had, I got double credits for my music program because it was so intense. It was, like mm -hmm. we do, you know, we do regular classes, but our music classes were double the length of our, any other class. So if our math class was like an hour, mm -hmm. hour 20, our music class was about, you know, at least an hour, 42 hours a day wow. of, music, of music class. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we had hour and a half rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And then if we had recitals, which we always had, or competition, we rehearse five days a week. So it was so much, so You're much. Getting your reps in for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so intense. And I was considering doing opera and classical music in university because my teacher was leaving to teach at the university. And she was like, you should come. You know? And I was just like, no, I'm not doing, I don't know if I want to do that. I, you know, and I wanted to be a pop singer, like an R&B singer. So I went to school for jazz after. I went to oh, really? this school here called Humber. I went to, for, I majored in vocal jazz. And it was, I thought it was going to be this kind of like, you know, this bohemian like flow, <laughs> you know, like very yeah. abstract and, you know, um, improv improvisational. Dude, it was more structure, more scales, uh. more discipline, you know, um, to get to, you know, and, you know, with the understanding to get to the point of a, you know, a Chick Corea or a mm -hmm. Chet Baker or, a, you know, any of these jazz greats, you know, Miles Davis, understanding like the fully the fundamentals of what you're playing to get to that free, to that musical freedom. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, I'm do it. And during my last recital, my teacher pulled me aside and she said, you know, great job do you want to be a jazz singer? And I was like, no, I don't want to be a jazz singer. She's like, well, what do you want to be? I was like, well, I want to be a pop R&B star. Really? Yes. And she was like, okay. Cause she was like, you take every jazz song and you turn it into a pop song. Oh, <laughs> I was like, okay. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's the way I sing. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's where I lean. She was like, well, you know, we're at a jazz school. And she was like, I, if you want to be a jazz singer, I can teach you to be a great jazz singer. I can teach you that. I can show you that if you want to be a jazz singer. But if you don't want to be a jazz singer and you want to be a pop singer, I can't teach you that. And if that's where your final, that's your final goal, that's where you want to be. I, she was like, I don't think you should be at the school. She was like, you're not going to learn what you want to learn. You'll learn how to be a great jazz singer and you'll apply if you apply yourself. But if, <clears throat> if that's not what you want to do, I don't suggest you. She was like, why are you here? I was like, I just wanted to learn. She's like, but if your final thing, if your end goal is to be a pop singer, mm. this isn't going to, you know, I can't teach you that. I can't Sweet. teach you. That. You'll be fighting your, you'll be fighting your internally all the time. I was like, she's like, I think you should drop out. What? And where did you I go dropped, from there? I took a year off. I was a waiter. Um, hanging out, you no know, chilling, going to the club. What restaurant? <laughs> well, I was like, I was working at the mall actually. It was like it's called Diana Suites in, in this uh, area, area of Toronto called Scarborough. And then I went to school for sound engineering. I, I went to this. Um, How old are you about this time? This is early twenties? 
Yeah, early 20s. I went to this school called Harris, the Harris Institute, and it was basically a recording studio with a couple of classrooms upstairs, and then the majority of your classes were in the studio. And it was great for me because everything was applied. I had a class, it was called, I don't know, synth, Synthesis 101, mm. right? Nice. And it was learning how to you know, work a synthesizer and how to create sonics with oscillators. And my teacher was the guy who did all the synth work on Dark Side of the Moon for Pink Floyd. Oh, no. It's one of my all time favorite records. Crazy. His name, if, if you look at the back of the album, it says all synths done by Don, Don Garbin. He was, that was my teacher. And he'd make synth orchestrations on an ARP 2600 just by like kind of. Wow. I didn't even know they had a sound designer. But they're ahead of their time and thinking, yeah. hey, we need a sound oh, designer. He was, he was the guy. He was the guy. Um, you know, we had we had guys who were managing, like, who managed, um, like, you know, old school rock stuff like Blue Rodeo. Uh, um, there was one of my production teachers. He was um, Jack Richardson, who produced American Woman Oh, the guess who? Um, guess who? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he did Alice Cooper. You know, you got a rich background, man. Yeah, his his son mixed Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, it was, oh, yeah, it's another favorite so, band of mine. Yeah, so a great great school to learn like the foundations of everything, and so that's what I ended up. Yeah, that's where I ended up. Were you writing the whole time? Were you writing the whole uh, time? I was the whole time. I was still writing. I was still producing. I like I had like a Dell computer and I was running Cakewalk and I was making beats and Cakewalk. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, when did you start writing? I started writing really young. Maybe maybe I mean I was in elementary school and I can remember I had like a notebook of like poems or like okay poems or stanzas that I would sing um, around. Around 17, 18, no, yeah, around 17 and 18, I had a singing group in high school and we started writing songs for that group. So we started writing songs together for that. Um, that's, that's when I really started kind of getting into the songwriting and production side of things. And how'd you learn about songwriting and production? Ah, just like, you know, just doing it, you know, just, just going and just going in playing stuff. My, my, my first few songs were horrible. I think like everybody do you, else's. But. Do you remember any names of what's your worst song you ever wrote in your life? Oh, <laughs> I think the worst song I've ever wrote actually has come because those songs are, were made out of like complete inspiration, you know? So mm. whether they were technically bad or, you know, lyrically kind of cheesy, you know, those songs had at least an honest quality about it. I think if I think about, yeah, like just, an, yeah. And they were inspired because it was so new. It was such a new thing. So there's, there's a quality about those songs. When I listen back, even though they're kind of cringeworthy, there's an honest, <laughs> yeah, there's an honest quality about it that, right. you know, they need work or, mm -hmm. but I've written my worst songs that I've written are songs where I was, you know, kind of trying too hard. You know, right. trying too hard to make a hit, um, mm. you know, like when intention goes completely wrong. When intention goes. 
Yeah. I think that's going to be one of the, the headlines here, like a, yeah. a little, you kind little of highlight lose, clip. <laughs> yeah, when intention goes completely wrong, when you lose the whole, you know, there's you lose the flow and everything is just just a calculated mess of, you know, like, okay, now this is, it's too, it ha, it's too obvious, you know? I think How those do you are- get around I, that though, August? How do you, because we all, we all try and be too epic at, at times. We're all, yeah. So how do you- balance that craft and inspiration i i don't know i guess for me it's more of a trial and error thing and then also a feeling you know at the end of the day the song has to f- give me a feeling mm. and those songs i felt you know i obviously thought they were good enough to kind of finish and shop around but when i when i listen back to them and think it the feeling is gone you know everything is a you know everything was like a you know this it was just so whack like there's only <laughs> just whack so yeah i think i think you just have to write through those you know to write through mm-hmm. that you know because everybody wants to do that you know you want to make those hits i mean mm-hmm. i did um you got to get through you got to just write through that you you write enough songs that you get to a point where you just want something great and you want something mm. to give you that feeling again and you're studying like along the way you're yeah. studying great songs and you're studying these songs and sometimes you just lose it you lose the you lose your way and then you find your way back to it and you start to realize ah here it is and then it kind of all comes together like all that wrong intention all those like really bad parts of songs that you were kind of trying too hard you realize, okay, there was something I was trying to do that I just wasn't nailing. Mm. And then you nail it one day and you're like, ah, that's it. There's a bat. That's the balance. You know, it's all about, it's all about a balance. I think with these songs and like getting, if a song, if a song on the surface is shallow, you know, maybe mm-hmm. something and the underlying maybe musical quality of it, there's that's where the depth is coming in to kind of even out that kind of shallow lyric maybe or the melody is so contagious that you don't need something so heavy on the lyrical side Mm. or maybe you need something heavy on the lyrical lyrical side to compensate for um i don't want to say lack because lack means it feels bad but uh, for lack of a better word lack of melodic differentiation so you have something that's very complicated lyrically, but it needs a simpler melody to get that message across, you know? So finding that balance is key. And I think that only comes through either you're really, really lucky, just just spot on there, or just writing through a bunch of really whack songs until you kind of start to get that balance. It it takes, it takes time. I've, I I mean, I've gotten lucky sometimes and just nailed it more often than not those like and the funny thing is you in between those lucky songs you're kind of writing crappy 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 oh not bad not bad bam that's the one cool then you're doing it again and your your ratio gets higher and higher and when i say lucky i think you know i'm just writing so much that you know the skill set kind of just grows to this and then you get one and you're like cool that's that's Mm -hmm. one that's that's where it kind of culminated and then it kind of starts all over again, to be honest. Did, did you, how did you learn the craft? Did, were there people who were dropping knowledge to you? Were you reading books or was it just through pure writing your way through it? You know, I, 
if I was to say I had like a, I, I don't think I ever had like a songwriting mentor in terms of like who I was looking to. I had people like, you know, obviously like Max Martin and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and songs that I loved. And then I didn't even necessarily know the songwriters. I had songs that I loved. Right. That I, I wanted to write songs like that. That gave me a feeling like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was my education in songwriting, just listening and understanding the lyric, the lyrical, you know, the lyrical. Did you break content. them down? Oh, I break them down all the time. So you'd like, be like, okay, this guy, there's like one motif and then they recycle yeah. it and, and then there's a tag. You kind of reverse yeah. engineer it. So I've only now, like I love, I've always loved melody, but melody has always been a, uh, it's weird. It's usually the first thing for people most writers the melody in it and i believe it's definitely key i was always lyrically like hell-bent on a lyric Mm, yeah when i write to inspire a great melody i need a great lyric that's more often than not that's how i write so i need a great lyric to 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 kate to for that melody to have a cadence on Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's once i have a great lyric i can kind of spit it out Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lately, my process has changed over over time. So now, when I'm writing a song, I still do that. I still want my great lyric to 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 kind of catapult the idea of the song. But what I'm now doing is curating. So I will write a whole song. I'll mm-hmm. spit it out. Might even might take me like 20 minutes. And oh my gosh, this song's this song is done. It's quick. It's not great, but right. it's done. It's, it's the first done. draft. Yeah, it might take 20 minutes to get that first draft. And then if it, if I love it, if I'm already like, oh, this is it, sometimes you catch it and you're great. But I will, now I'm going in and I'm curating, okay, this is cool. This, can this be better? Can this be framed better? Right. You know, I frame this idea better. Is this better if I'm, if it, if, is this better if it's happening on the pickup, if it's, if it's happening on the end of four, as opposed yeah. to right on the one. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Now it's sounding better now. Oh, that feels good coming in. That's got a great energy now. Oh, but I feel like now it needs to be extended. Okay. Now we need to change the lyric a bit. Oh, we need to change the melody a bit. And I'm now I'm tailoring the songs to get them to a point where I'm like, there's no holes for me. And again, that's a subjective thing, but I'm, I'm picking now. I'm just picking apart my songs until I find there's no holes in them. Sounds like you're a really good editor now of your own work. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm, you know, there was a time where I was like, Oh, my first line is the best. And then now then there's times where i'm like oh i'm the worst i'm uh, i can't write anything now i now i'm a little more even keel about you know that process and you know again i'm trying to find the right intention for every song and the the best way to package something you know i Mm. i'm 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 hell-bent on a concept all the time like i want my songs to have a concept i very rarely write something you know kind of free-flowing um Unless that's the intent of that song. Like I just wanted right. to, you know, something, something vibey, but I still, I like to cradle my song with a concept. I like to cradle it with a phrase or something that's, especially that if I can find something that's very conversational, that's something natural, that's right. something you say naturally. Right, right. You know, and then if I can find something cliche, that's, you know, you know, but 
present that cliche a little bit differently in a new way. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that's the best mm. because it's such, everybody gets that punchline, you know, everybody gets it, but you present, when you present it in a certain way, it, you know, there's a certain brilliance to it. And I, I've only come across that a few times in my life in terms of songwriting, but once you kind of get it and you present it in that, like, it's all about the packaging, right? We've right. all these songs, all they're it's regurgitated, all these chords, they've, there's, there's, you know, they've progressions. They've all, they've all been done. You know, it's all there all for us. It's the packaging. How do you present this? How do you present this mm. to the world? Make it, you know, make it new. You know, how, how do you say, I love you, you know, another yeah. way. So that's amazing, man. That's, that's uh, kind of what goes through my head on a regular basis when I'm writing these songs. What are your top three tips to creating ultra catchy melodies? Okay. One big intervals, mm. high to low, low to high. They're easy to kind of catch. They're easy to understand. And they just kind of ingrain in your brain really easy. Like the, uh, uh, you know, even just singing that right now, that, you know, that the, having those jumps and intervals, um, I find are really key. They create, they create a quick contrast and, you know, also it's note dependent, but, you know, pleasing intervals, like, you know, like those, the, those jumps, yeah. the one, four, one, five, one, six, they always, they mm. always kind of, they always kind of get, get in there. So I think that's one intervals, those intervals in, in your catchy hooks are, are really key. Some leaps. Yeah. Some leaps for sure. Um, interesting rhythms are always great too. Interesting rhythms. Now we have like, you know, the triplet is so predominant right now in urban music and, you know, pop music. It's always been there, but it's kind of highlighted right now. So I, modern writing, I guess in modern writing, I try to incorporate something like, you know, especially if you can kind of flip it and have it in an interesting place, but these, you know, these, right. Like normally, normally you'll have it, you know, normally, normally your triplets are happening in, you know, those, the obvious places that you'd hear them mm -hmm. find somewhere in your melodic structure that, you can fit it and it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't function in that way, but it's that rhythm is there. Finding in, finding interesting places for well-known things is, is cool. Like it's, it's like, it's like, it's like another way to, it's like, if you can find a way to say, I love you in another way, it's, it's, it's good. So taking, finding those interesting pockets to, to mm. figure, to, to place something familiar. I see. So it's uh, almost like you're re remixing a, a familiar uh, rhythm in a new way, would you say? Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Um, that one's a little complex to kind of wrap your head around because sometimes if, if something's never been done for, before, it usually means it's not that good. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, there's uh, a reason why. Uh, that, there's a reason why. Yeah, there's a reason why it's not it's not been done because it's not that good. But yeah, interesting rhythms is always great. Um, to balance, it's it's about balance, right? Balance. Yeah.
Number three, what would you say? Um, number three in, in a catchy chorus. Some, lyrically, I think having something easy to say. You know, you can't, it can't be too complex. If, it, if it's too complicated, you, you've already lost everybody. So this is kind of, this might be a two-part answer. If you're getting to your chorus and you have too much to say, maybe you've, you haven't said enough in your verses and your pre's. Mm, no? okay, your, okay. your chorus should, your chorus should just kind of round out the whole song. You're not, gotcha. it should, it should kind of have a central idea already, you know? Right. Um, it shouldn't be just, you know, and, and again, subjective, this, mm-hmm. this, this changes from song to song, but on a whole, you know, you want your course to be simple, you want your mm-hmm. course to be simple and easily remembered. So however way you can get that across and listen, once you start writing these songs and start playing them for people, you can see, especially and play them for people who aren't musicians. Because a lot of the times we're writing, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm writing stuff to impress other producers and other writers sometimes. Right. Like, wait, wait, wait. I, that's not what I'm trying to do. You're not trying yeah. to impress other musicians. We, we are 5%, maybe 2% of the listening public because we don't listen to music the same way anymore. You know, as a, yeah. as a, as a creator, I don't listen. I, it's one of my... It's one of the things that I regret about being a music, uh, being in the music industry and being a music creator. I don't listen to music the same way I used to. Um, How do you I don't, listen to it? I listen to it. Subject. I listen to it like with a fine tooth comb. You're, are you reverse engineering everything? You're Every doing? time. I, yeah especially new music and yeah. i only listen to new music now as a study it's so bad mm. sometimes i'll hit sometimes i'll hit something and i'll love it so much that i just won't even bother i like i won't things that i love that i absolutely love i i won't listen to it as much as i normally do because i don't want to ruin it like wow. i love SZA. i like listening to SZA. i like SZA's, yeah. uh SZA's, like type of r&b like her writing approach i like mm. that thing um i don't listen to her a lot because i don't want to sit there and dissect it the way now eventually i will but i every time i hear it every time i hear a scissor song like oh yeah this is fire and and i don't get to the point where i'm dissecting it i'm just like i'm enjoying it so you can Um, turn it off right you can turn off the dissection i can i can but not easy it's if the more i listen to it the more i just end up getting there i end up for for leisure i end up listening to a lot of old music Mm. a lot of old stuff a lot of the stuff that i grew up with like the jodeci i listen to like d'angelo you know the brown sugar out i think is 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 one of the you know the greatest lauren hill yeah um miseducation lauren hill yeah. Uh, amazing. On a songwriting tip, I love, here's another thing. I love listening to country music. Mm. I love, I listen to country in the last few months. I've listened to country playlists more than anything because there's still lyric based, you know, even though there's a lot of talking about a truck and my whiskey and my, there's, right. they, they are, they punchlines are incredible. 
know, right. historically always been, but there's still a very huge focus on that lyric in yes. country music. And I, and that's what I love about them. It's a, you know, it's a great lyric cradled by an incredible melody and it just makes you feel like, ah, like, yeah, it's always, it's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a couple of great country songs now. Um, there's one called breaking more hearts than mine, Ingrid Andres. That's the version I like. I don't know who's the original. I mean, also countries, you know, some, some people are like country singer songwriters. And then some of these songs are like old country songs that kind of get regurgitated and redone. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. That, like my favorite song, probably top three is I can't make you love me. Bonnie Raitt. Oh yeah. That's a, a lot of R and B artists like that song. I mean, it's that R and B country music. I mm -hmm. find very, I find they share a lot of musical similarities. They mm. share a lot of the same qualities. What's the thread <laughs> that ties them together? I think it's the inflections, the 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 riffs, the the freedom in the in the in the singing quality. You know, there's a freedom in how they're singing these songs. And, mm. They couldn't be more different in, in terms of like the spectrum, maybe. Right, right. Somewhere along that line, there, there's a, there's a huge similarity, and they're, it's all soul, it's soulful in its own way. It's you right. know, it all, it has a spirit. It has a spirit about it. The country music and the R and B music, it has a spirit about it. Um, yeah, I've always said that. I've said that since I've, since I was young. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and to me, it holds true. Like, you know, I love R&B and I like, I like country. So Nice. Well, no wonder your lyrics are so fire because I mean, I I studying just, craftsmen. I'm trying. I want that's I want that. You know, I want I want I want to be great. And I think the only way to do that is to study these great songs, man. Yeah. I listen to a lot of Eagles. Oh, yeah. Eagles. Amazing. Um, One of the and I like I like the big 80s ballad, too. You know, like I like Journey. Mm. Yeah. No, Christopher Cross. Christopher. Uh, <laughs> you got some are, yacht rock on your playlist. Those are great songs, man. I don't care what anyone says. No, They're I love them too. Man, they just, they just do, they just, they, they do it for me. I'm already sold on it. Trust me. Yeah. Speaking of career, uh, I got this this uh, concept here. Um, what what would Rigo do? What would August Rigo do? For, so here's a scenario. Let me paint it for you. Yep. Three or four collaborators in a studio. You got an artist, songwriter, producer. You're in there. You guys are all vibing. Everybody's loving the chorus. But you you think it's pretty good in your mind. You're like, yeah, it's pretty good. But you know you got that fire. You have an idea in your head. How do you present that idea when everyone's kind of sold on this other thing? And you think you got something that's even even more fire. I I record it myself. Yo, like, and I'll do it. Like, like, I like would, how, how would you bring this up? Like every, I would say, like, yo, this is, this is fire. I do this. All right. Let me throw a wrench. Let me throw a wrench in the plan. And let, can I try be, and I always kind of preface it like, yo, let's, let's be open with this. Let me try something. Let me try something real quickly. I'll do this. Let me go. And I won't do it in front of everybody either. I sure I, Man, I like the idea of collaboration. I don't like collaboration. It's weird. It's uh, a weird. Thing. I love sharing the room with people and making music. But when it comes to like the actual songwriting, I like to kind of 
fiddle through my ideas myself so that I can present it the way I see it. Sometimes when I'm creating it and I don't get the right energy from like my, the rip, like my, maybe I record the first line and I'm not feeling the right energy and it, it affects my process. I'm sensitive in that way and I can't help it. So I like to kind of go away, do my thing, come back. And this is what I think it should sound like. And I, here it is. And then at the very least, and I'm not sensitive after when somebody's like, oh, I don't like it. That's mm-hmm. cool. But I do want to, and I've never said it and I've never put this situation, I've never kind of figured it out. And this has helped me figure this out. I always want, I want to present my idea the way I hear it in my head. So at least it can be judged the right way in the right light. You know, so does that mean you want to like mix the vocal a certain way before you even show? Yeah, it? I mean, even like mix, cool, but like just a at least a, a rough idea of like, you know, this is what I this is what I think. You know, to show the potential of the idea, just so that it's seen in the right light. Um, you know, all the lyrics together, you know, melodic form, maybe some harmonies to kind of highlight specific areas. But I want the idea to have a fair shot. Gotcha. You know. So yeah, that's what I would do. And I do that. Like when I'm doing these zoom, uh, recording sessions, if I'm in a group or, uh, an, uh, with a group of people that allow me to do that, I'm, I always, I always come, I'm always able to come with a great, a good song, you know, I'll, at least a good song. I can kind of be like, Oh, this is great. We talk about the song. Oh, what do you want to, Oh, you know, we should be like this, this, this. And as we're talking about it, I'm formulating these ideas and listening to the beat, getting a structure in my hand. Be like, okay, cool. Can you give me 20 minutes? You know, you guys work on the beat or kick it. Mm. Give me 20 minutes. Let me write this first verse out and see if I can kind of find a direction for it. I'll go okay. in I'll write the first verse, maybe first verse into the hook or something and be like, yo, Here's the song, and then we can kind of pick it apart from there. But I want to make sure that I get the idea out because I feel like, yeah, it, it, if I'm ex- if I'm this excited about it in my head, there's got to be a reason, and I want to make sure that it gets judged in the right light. I you know, it's it shot down before, because demoitis is a real thing. Mm. People can hear it one one time, be like, oh, that's the way it goes, and then sometimes it's hard for people to hear it any differently. Gotcha. Good or bad, they're just it's the familiar it's the familiarity. You know, that's another thing about songwriting thing. If you can create familiarity with something that's totally new, you're right on the right path because the brain wants that. The mm-hmm. brain wants to is actually anticipating what's happening next in the music. Mm. Um, I've re- I'm reading, I have this book that I refer to all the time, go back and forth. It's called, this is your brain on music. And that's one of the parts it touches on. Mm-hmm. Um, your brain is anticipating what's happening. So you're hearing this melody and your brain wants to hear this. And then if it hears that it's satisfied and it's like, Oh yeah, that's what I want. And it sticks. And then there's those, there's like the, extraordinary circumstances where your brain is anticipating and wants to hear this and then you flip it and you take it somewhere else and Ah. realize that's really where you wanted it to go you know that's where it really felt good surprise and it's like surprise and 
listen to your, listen to these great songs that in your, when you, I, I'll say this and it's hard to understand, but when you now, when you go back and listen to songs or when you hear something new and it does something, you'll understand that feeling as a songwriter, you'll chase that feeling forever. <laughs> Getting those goosebumps. Yeah. You, if you can give yourself goosebumps when you're writing it. Yeah. Okay. That you're on the right path. Wow. You're dropping some gems, man. What's been the most fulfilling moment you think of your career? So I had this song for two years. It's Chris Brown, Back to Sleep. I had this song for two years. And um, when I wrote it, I was like, yo, this is fire. I wrote it with Boy Wonder. He thought it was fire. Uh, Boy Wonder Vinyls and this, and Boy Wonder Vinyls and Alan Ritter, amazing producers. And yo, it sat in my laptop for years. I sent it to everybody and nobody was hearing it. And maybe it's because I was cold or maybe it was because nobody cared about what I had to say at the time. Is, you know, the writer thing is like the art, artist and the producer thing. You know, if you're hot, if you're the hot writer, people hear your songs differently. Mm-hmm. People, yeah. All these A&Rs will tell you, oh, you know, we, I, I'll listen to music. If it's a hit, it's a hit. Nah. If you hear the beat is from Timbaland and the song is by Max Martin, you hear that different. You trust it more. We listen to something from Pharrell and Pharrell will make some weird stuff, but it's Pharrell. When you know it's from Pharrell, you trust it because he has a track record. Now, if you hear something from somebody, they're like, huh? You know, if you, a lot of the times people do, they may lie to you, but they do. They'll hear it it's different you hear it different so but anyways i had the song back to sleep and i just knew i i loved it so much and i heard it a billion times and when they finally i don't know how or when it was the turning point on it but two years later it gets to chris brown and he records it and it comes out and for me, I'm again, like I've said earlier in this interview, I'm an R&B fan. Like I, you know, I started out doing, you know, getting a lot of pop cuts, but I'm at the very core of me. My, my first instinct is to write an R&B song and, you know, ah, R&B. So there's a, you know, there's always a, for me, when I got into the music industry, I always I say this too. I didn't understand that my race was going to be playing a part in what type of music people expected me to do. Mm. I'm Filipino. I'm not black. I'm not white. I'm not Hispanic, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Filipino, I'm Asian, whatever, whatever they want to call it. And when I got into the industry, I was fully R and B. Like I, that's all I was, that's all I was kind of thinking and yeah. singing and writing. Um, people did not know what to, the music industry didn't know kind of where, what box to put me in because they had, hadn't seen somebody like me or heard somebody you know, that I did what I did. So, you know, even down to like my own management, you know, was confusing me because like, oh, you can't sing this song. It's too much bottom end. It's too urban. Oh, this is too pop or this is too this. And I was kind of, you know, lost in the sauce for a minute because I just didn't know what, what people wanted from me and the wrong way to look at things. It's, it's mm. just wrong thing but the music industry wants to put you in a box they want to they want to keep you they want to be able to categorize you um yeah especially before streaming now that box is broken you know right. people can, 
putting out chris brown can do a pop song kind of yeah. pop rockish song dance song yeah super r&b trap he's rapping anything can go let's go you know let's go yeah. and that's great i think it's great for the music i think it's great for creativity but you know for me coming up people would look at me and just kind of put me in that box and be be this you know, oh, you know, he writes pop. So every session I got after I was doing that first, you know, One Direction, Bieber, Sean Kingston, which were all pop-ish records. Right. Pop records, you know. Oh, you know what? He does great with kid songs. Mm. Give him all the sessions for kids under 15, you know, or 16-year-old mm. pop records. You know, and then I came around and I ended up executive producing a music soul child record, which was, you know, know, one of my idols. I I grew up listening to music soul child. And I would say that was, you know, one of the great moments. But this one specifically because of just being in the music industry and losing myself so many times in the, you know, in what I wanted to do. When I wrote that song, I was, you know, I had come from, you know, making huge amounts of money um going through this transition and you know having a fallout with my management being you know being kind of you know swindled out of a a lot of deals and a lot of money and then and then i was home i was here i mean i was literally in this basement with no money in my account anymore like i was at zero dollars you know broke again after making tons of money bro like after selling i don't know 50 million records i had i had 50 what million happened records. to the money man your the manager money? took it um are you were you wilding out a little of, bit at the, the club? Of, was, okay so <clears throat> Popping bottles. Or I, I definitely did that. I definitely spent a lot of money at the club. I bought, a, a, little. I bought a lot of expensive clothes. Um, but that, you know, I, I was, I was robbed. <laughs> I was kind of like, I was swindled. I've, you know, I've, I was kind of screwed over basically. You know, I did a lot of work for, you know, artists and help develop things. And it just, you know, I, mm. I, you know, a lot, a lot of it was my fault because I didn't take care of business the way I should have. And then, you know, my response to everything was emotional as opposed to, you know, just really being about my business. And I, I allowed people to, I allowed people to take advantage of me and, you know, it, it, it was what it was. It was my fault because I allowed them to do what they did. And, you know, I take accountability for that, but at the end of the day, I was broke. I was, I was down and out and, but I came home and I wrote this, you know, still able to take, you know, with all that in stride, I was able to kind of like get myself to write this song that I, that I loved. And I was at a point where I just didn't want to be in the music anymore. You know, I was so hurt. I was so damaged mm-hmm. and you know, it's uh, you no, know, for everybody else. It's like, yeah, it's a great song for me, it was like a great turning point for myself to say that, you know, even like, even at my lowest point, I'm still able to write something that was worthy. And even though it took two years for it to come out, I was still able to write something worthy enough to, you know, take a number one spot on the charts and, you know, play, you know, play all over the world and, you know, and have an artist, you know, uh, of the caliber of Chris Brown actually want to record it. You know, that, that actually led me to, you know, I got to meet Chris Brown and hang out with him and, you know, in studio, I, you know, I, I, 
I went to, I got to go to his house and write with him and, you know, just, I don't ever really get to meet artists like that. I usually write songs and send them out and, you know, they get chosen. Um, you know, that was, you know, that was a great experience for me and a great kind of turning point in terms of, you know, just being able to come back, come back from like a real bad spot. That's incredible, man. This, this whole story has led me to a question. I think that really matches this. When and how do you bring up business with a new collaborative partner? Uh, (laughs) I know as artists, it can be very awkward and you just want to, all right, let's jump into it. But at what point? I'm I'm the worst at that. I want to get in, create music and, you know, let hope that everybody's honest with, you know, what, where everyone's worth and what everybody should be compensated for. When I get into a writing session, for example, I I try to try to keep like certain rules. Like if I'm in a writing session and there's three writers in the room and a producer, the producer is kind of, it depends on what's happening, but the producer says, here's my beat. You like this? Yeah, let's go. So, and we go, us three writers write a song Mm -hmm. and the producer is, you know, takes, takes over the production and does pretty much the majority of the musical bed instrumental idea, mm-hmm. you know, the song is split into two. So I'm, I get that most often, more often than not, the producer will take the 50, 50% of that song. Cause he's making the music. And then because we took care of the uh, lyrics and melody, we're three writers. We'll split that writing three ways, split the mm-hmm. 50% three ways. And, you know, it's good. That's fair. If, if it's a collaborative effort, we have like, you know, we're all in the room and we're making the stuff. Cause the way, you know, producers usually, usually get paid the advance, right. On the, on the song, songwriters, top liners, lyric and melody people, we don't historically get paid. It's, it's a weird archaic system in the music industry, but it, it stands today. It's, it's, it's a topic of discussion, but you know, whatever it is, what it is right now things, things are changing, but not fast enough, but it is what it is. You know, we got to, you know, he's still working, but if you're all in the room and we're all creating and it's just about, it's just like a big kind of love fest of making music. I, I don't find any problem with, even if I'm the producer, let's let's just split it down the middle and let's like give everybody equal pieces like we're not gonna pick, oh yeah i did the chorus well i did like three yeah. words in here like that's that just ruins it all it, do, you, so, do you say that before the session starts or do you start talking uh, about that after you know what usually more often than not again it always comes after yeah. and then that's where the problem is because it's weird man you walk into a room you want to you want to okay here's the split sheets you know, yeah. it automatically becomes something really corporate. And that's why it's so key to like really, you know, you want to collaborate with people that you're good with, you know, that you, that you, in, you know, you enjoy collab that you, you would hang out with on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to just being thrown in a room with people. Uh, I like, you know, I like writing songs by myself, but I also don't shy away from, giving a piece of my songwriting percentage to the artist who has to, you know, who has to go out and perform the song. Like, okay, cool. Like I'm down for it. If that's what, if that's what you need to feel a little bit of entitlement to that song, a connection to that song, it's Mm -hmm. cool. You know, if, if that 5% is, um, makes that much money for you, then 
there's enough money there that we're all making money, you know, there's enough, there's enough to, there's enough to go around. So some songwriters are really, really precious about it. And yeah, rightfully so we've written these songs and, you know, sheer grit, but I don't know. I'm generous, man. Like I'm down to share, I'm down to share to do what's best for the song, you know? I'm I'm super curious about this because I'm nowhere near at your level, but like I always wonder, like these big songwriting sessions. At what point do you? So at the very end, you guys bust out the split sheets, and is that I, how, how does that work? And then who registers it? Who registers? So sometimes, if you're in like a writing camp, yeah, you know, walking in, you're it, there's like you're kind of in an agreement. Everybody that's in this session, so you're doing a session a day and usually in these writing camps and everybody in this session uh, everybody's gonna get equal parts of the publishing of the writing percentage and it's like mm-hmm. all right which is fine which is totally fine you know it's a collaborative effort we're all there the song even if you didn't even if you wrote one word or even if you wrote nothing your energy in that room was contributing to whatever was being created that day so that's the way i chalk it up to okay. i i rarely rarely get into rooms and there's split sheets there and just it should yeah it is a buzzkill it's probably you know it's probably good to do it get it over with maybe agree to it before you walk in but things change you know sometimes okay song's done then you get another writer to come in and write write a new verse or the artist takes it and wants to do its own thing um and flip the chorus a bit or producer gets another producer to redo drums or redo the key right, right. Who, so, whose responsibility is it at the end of the day to get it signed after like say the song is done after the song is done it's usually the the label or the management or the artist management because then at the end of the day it goes okay the artist wants this song okay so now it's up to their team, whoever, manager, assistant, engineer sometimes to go out and make sure everybody's cool. Okay, yo, you're good with 20%. This is the splits. This is what we've arranged. Are you, does, does this seem fair to you? Uh, I think I should get 25. And, oh, okay. that's how that works. And so you, you kind of go down the line there. And when it happens, like sometimes, sometimes I, you know, the song will be out already and then the claim at your songwriting society is 130% and everybody's money gets held up because I got 40% of the song. He has 40% of the song. He has 40% of the song. And it's like, there's not not enough, there's not enough song. What's the most valuable piece of advice you would give to someone? They just graduated high school and they come up and say, August, Hey man, how can I have a career as a pop songwriter and producer? Well, I, I would say, I would say the first is, you know, do you have, like, you got to ask yourself these questions. If you're, if you're trying to get into the industry, do you have, you know, are you good? You know, self-awareness is probably the, the, the big umbrella here, the self-awareness and an understanding of your capabilities, your potential and how much you're willing to work to exceed that potential or get to that potential rather, or exceed it, whatever one you want to do. But you know, there are, you know, there, are, there is kind of guidelines, I guess I can put, put forth the fall. Like you want to have, uh, it's a job, you know, mm-hmm. to be, to be a song, it's a job. So in order to get the job, you know, you want, you want to have a resume. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have experience in the professional songwriting world, um, 
you've got to show a skill set. So in your resume is the songs that you've written. So if you're not a singer, you've got to get somebody to sing these songs that you wrote because they have to be, you have to have something tangible to show somebody. Right. You know? And that's the, you know, that's going to be your first step into entering into a conversation about like, if you were to approach me, yo, August, I want to be a songwriter. I want to do what you do. My first question is, yo, do you have some stuff? Let me hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, let me hear it. You have, I got into the industry pre YouTube, pre SoundCloud, pre the, the, my introduction was before all this, you were able to jump into a, you know, a zoom session or email somebody or Instagram famous TikTok. I literally sat outside of the record labels in New York city. I drive down from Toronto and I would stand in front of the record labels and I would hand out CDs. If you look like you were in the music industry and you were going into the universal building, you probably got a CD for me. Did that that work at all? It it worked after four years of doing it. Ask some commitment. So I would, I would literally stand out there, rain, sleet, snow, winter, summer, spring. I was there. I would get a meeting sometimes. Sometimes I get a session. I would always, I was going back to New York for four years. Like, this is not a lie. Everybody that knows me, that has seen me in those and the same executives that were that are now executives, they were the assistants and they were interns. And when I got a meeting or I was, you know, I got into the building by, you know, chatting up somebody and played them a song, you know, those assistants, they were the homies. Like they'd always, and it, I didn't have a lot of money, but they always had free like swag, like. I always came out with like a bunch of free soda or free energy drinks and stuff like that. So that, you know, for my drive home, I didn't have to buy energy drinks. I had a box of energy drinks in the back. Um, I always got a box of promo CDs from um, the promo CD guy, the guy that was in charge of the promo room. He'd always give me a box of CDs so that when I got home, I could sell these, I could sell these promo CDs to the UCD shop for like three, $5 a piece and, you know, make a couple hundred bucks. Wow. So I, that's what I was doing, you know, and meeting, meeting executives, meeting, I met artists, I met people. And one of the, you know, one of the guys that ended up being the manager at the, like my previous management manager at the time that took me from nobody to songwriter, you know, writing for Dustin Bieber. I met him outside of the universal office, I recognized his face from source magazine and I approached him. I said, Hey, you know, I know you like one of these. Cause we had sent, we had like some sort of email, uh, exchange, exchange or something about a beat. And I was like, I know you like our song. I got more songs and we got a meeting and I was in a position to be like, I want you to manage me. And they told me, he told me to move out to New Jersey and I moved to New Jersey. And that's kind of like what catapulted me into the kind of music industry. But if you want to know how I got in or how I kind of, kind of pushed that door open is because I stood in front of this, you know, I stood in front of the building with a stack of CDs. Wow. So yeah, back to that question, like, what do you do? Like, whatever you can. 
Mm. So yeah, you need your songs. You need you need repertoire. You need a you need you need that resume so that you can show somebody what you can do and what your abilities are, and so you can show your potential because everybody says they want to be a songwriter. Everybody says they want to be a producer. But if you don't have anything, if you don't have anything to show for that, that means you're just saying it because we live in a world now where you can download everything for free that you need to create, to create this music. Yeah. I have a big studio here with a bunch of keyboards and great microphones and, you know, heavy duty computer, but man, you can, with with a computer with a with a little laptop and and the internet you can make something the exactly the same that i'm making you know yeah, you can make that at a high quality now so there's no excuse to not have music to show for mm-hmm. and then at the very least it's a great first step because if you can get somebody to listen to your songs then you can have a point of reference this probably sucks or yeah. damn you're really good. Mm-hmm. If you're really good, people will see it. If if you suck, people will see that too. And then you can, then, then you can start to learn. And you can start to figure out why is this suck? Why don't people like my music? And B, you know, you have to be able to take criticism. And again, it's a subjective thing. Some people love it. Some some people hate it. But you have to be able to take criticism and take it with a grain of salt, and be able to adapt and work and you know work hard at it It, this the music industry isn't for the faint of heart man it's 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 a heartbreaking place to be especially if you know if you love it and the majority of the people i think everybody in the music industry loved at one point or another loves or loved the music so you know be ready for that but also the the flip side of it is it's, it's incredibly rewarding because it's such, it's, it's deeper than, you know, getting a paycheck, you know, you're doing music, you know, you're writing music, you're, you know, it's like three minutes and I would say three minutes and 30 seconds can change your life as a songwriter or produce change, you know, and when I did Bieber, when I originally did Bieber, we were about to lose this house. You know, we, we were in a lot of financial trouble. Um, I wasn't working. I was running around in New York, you know, and, you know, my parents were struggling here and we were about to lose, you know, there's this and, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds has changed my life forever for good. So it can happen and, you know, you just got to work at it. But yes, that, that's like my, my biggest advice is, yeah, you have to have something to show for it. You have to do, you have to have some, something. Thank you, August. This has been incredible, man. You've been, you've been so generous, man. So oh, thank you, man. No, of course. Where can we point your new fans? Anything you'd like to promote? Um, I have a new song called "It's Not Fair" featuring my homie Timothy. De- uh, actually, it's Timmy Tim Chantharangsu now, formerly Tim, Tim De La Ghetto. For, um, he's most popular from Wild and Out. Um, and then I have, you know, if you go to my Instagram, that's where I promote most of my music, which is Augmatic. A U G A M A T I C, and then anywhere else, like if you Google August Rigo, that's you know, check me out on Spotify or Apple Music. Just listen to the music, man. I, I'm putting out a whole bunch of new records this year, so 
and I, I'm at a, I'm, I feel like I'm in my bag. I feel like I've got a mm. good kind of energy behind it. And it's, it's the music that's, that I've always wanted to do, you know, finally at a point where I just, I'm just doing the music that I want to do with no kind of outside influence to it being like, Oh, is it a, is this pop or is this R and B enough? It's just, it's just what I want to do. So I'm excited. If you guys want to take a listen and kind of jump on the journey with me, I'd, you know, it'll be a good one. Wow. Thank you so much, August and uh, much blessings to you and, and your Thank family. You, and I wish you all the best. Thanks for being so kind and generous and uh, peace oh, no away. problem. Appreciate it. You got it. Talk to you later.